electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Good Thursday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer and David Faber. Futures are weak as the bulls have some headwinds today. Uh, an historic collapse in Q2 GDP. Initial claims up for the second consecutive week. The White House has a deal on stimulus nowhere close. Ten-year yield uh, is close to a post-COVID low, 54 basis points. As the president, Jim, on Twitter, Becky just mentioning this, uh, floating the idea of delaying the election. And we saw futures tumble a bit on that. Right. Well, I think that the shock value of that is uh, maybe better, more, uh, let's say, the bark versus the, the bite. I think that there's a belief uh, that we could get a lot, a much better picture of what the health situation is going to be like in November. So it's a little premature to be able to say what the president's saying. And it's certainly contrary to what he was saying about the idea that we could have a, a vaccine very, very soon. If we have a vaccine very soon, why do we have to delay the election and why does it have to be crooked? So I, I think you can't have them both ways. You can either have the vaccine come out uh, and have a good election or you must know that the vaccine's not going to come out and you're going to have what he just tweeted uh, But whatever, it sows chaos, uh, and chaos is bad for the stock market. Yep. I mean, that said, Jim, uh, we we did get some promising vaccine news today out of J&J as they move to human trials in the U.S. and Belgium. The uh, earnings, which we're going to talk a lot about this morning, are basically shaming the analysts, uh, virtually surpassing the entire range of estimates that have uh, been drawn since or for Q2. Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that because there's two things that are happening. The numbers are much better. And also a lot of companies are reinstituting guidance. And that was something a lot of the analysts didn't expect. And it's pretty much across the board uh, that you find that things are better. Uh, the market would be up if it weren't for Germany. It was down 3%. And then the president, uh, in a very counterintuitive method, which I think he should probably not take away because he doesn't like, to, doesn't like to immediately contradict himself, but realized that we could have a really good day in the market. We could have gone to all-time highs. It was, the raw, it was definitely a, a poorly timed in terms in terms of uh, how the stock market's doing. And David, you know, he, he cares tremendously about how the stock market's going to do. Yeah, it has been a report card for him from the very beginning of his presidency, and he refers to it all the time, far more than any president that certainly we can remember in our memory in terms of almost on a daily basis as a reflection of whether he is succeeding or not. Um, guys, you know, regardless of whether there is any substance whatsoever to the claim that mail-in voting could be fraudulent, which most people, in fact, I think is universally said is not the case. This does raise the prospect, at least in some minds, or continues to uh, cons- uh, raise concerns that are already there about a contested election, about uh, what will be a very difficult election day and perhaps even days after that. And I think that is sort of one of the keys here as well. What we may be seeing in terms of some of the reaction of the market, Jim, is just, you know, you've already heard it. Will the outcome be accepted? Uh, And in that interview that uh, the president did with Chris Wallace, he didn't say that he necessarily would accept the outcome of the election uh, if it went against him. So uh, this plays into those continued fears that are that are already in place. Right. I mean, look, this is we do remember the contested uh, with Gore. And as that went on. 
the market was very unsure of itself. But you know, obviously, if the president decides he doesn't want to leave the White House, uh, there will be constitutional challenges. Uh, the Supreme Court is actually pretty honest about this stuff. They've got a good Supreme Court. Uh, it should go there rather quickly. I don't think it's just be up to the president with a tweet uh, to decide when the election is going to happen. And uh, it's not like exactly a, a broad-based coalition that he, that he is bringing about. The one thing, Carl, that I find interesting is, is that the president seems to thrive, uh, no, seems to enjoy uh, the notion of, a la- of, of no stability. And then he likes to bring stability to the situation after he's, thre- after he's sown uh, chaos. It, it's a constant theme uh, of this presidency. And it's always amazing to me because, you know, you, you create this level of uh, uncertainty and then you solve the uncertainty. And it usually takes a full day to solve right. the uncertainty and the market goes down that day. Sure. Um, create a fire or at least the uh, illusion of a fire, Jim, and yep. then play the fireman, which sort of brings us uh, to COVID-5 stimulus. McConnell yesterday on Fox saying, I've got 20 members who already feel like we've added enough to the national debt. Um, he's got his own uh, caucus to satisfy along with uh, the Democrats and getting a compromise. Do you still believe a skinny deal is possible? Absolutely. Uh, these benefits run out tomorrow. Absolutely. It, look, one of the reasons why the president better start fighting about staying in the White House is that the Democrats are going to say, we were going to give you 600, but the president only gave you 200. No matter what way you, you shake that, that's a very positive message for the Democrats. And I, I have to believe that Trump may want to camp out in the White House, but I want the guy who gave me 600, not the guy who gave me 200. Dave, it's pretty simple, right? 600 is more than 200. Yeah, it is. There's no doubt, and and there is a need for it. I know there are plenty of people who say that it's a disincentive to work. It's unclear where the evidence is, although we do anecdotally hear that from business owners, including yourself, uh, Jim. But where are we going to end up is the more important question. I mean, it does appear, I don't know, where where you get to on a compromise, and then perhaps you move to the 70% of what your wage was prior to being unemployed. Uh, at some point, although the unemployment offices uh, or systems at so many states will have to do a lot of adjusting. And we're talking, unfortunately, about antiquated computer systems. But I don't know where we end up, and neither does the market at this point in terms of what people are actually going to be getting. Look, I think that if Secretary Mnuchin were sitting next to us, what he might say is there was a moment there where we really didn't want people to go to work. It was a lot safer to stay uh, to shelter in place, even though 70 percent of the people made more than if they were working. We probably prevented uh, even more illness by doing that. And I don't know where you think we are, but yesterday's death total was a terrible de- Any death total is bad. But yesterday, I thought we were going the way of Sweden. I th- thought things were starting to get better, and it was not a good number. Uh, there's definitely a lot of fear out there. The two numbers we got this morning uh, were not positive, and I think that, that anybody who thinks that it's time to stop this is someone who must genuinely live in a bubble, not the NBA bubble, but a bubble of their own. Carl, Things are going to get very tough if you suddenly cut out that amount of money. And I think where it's going to get tough is on the landlords who basically are going to be getting nothing. And if they have a mortgage, they could be in trouble. And that ripples to the banks. And maybe that's why the bank stocks trade horribly, even though we thought that they were a safe place to go. Yeah. Uh, action yesterday wasn't too bad, Jim, for a while. For a while. Which sort of threw some from a, for a loop. Some thought it might be uh, Buffett on B of A. Uh, but uh, after Powell, um, I guess maybe not as much. Yeah. I mean, look, I think yesterday the market, well, Robinhood's taken over this market. 
And uh, in, in the day when we had the titans of tech in, in front of Congress, people were focused on Kodak. Uh, now, Kodak is a very small company. But this kind of thing, uh, the government gives Kodak a contract, which is completely out from left field because Kodak we didn't even think in any form really existed. And then the Robin Hood guys swoop in and they take Kodak up to a level that it reminds me very much of 1999. Uh, I, this stuff has got to stop. Uh, the whole Robin Hood co-opting of the market seems silly to me because I know everybody's going to end up losing money. Uh, but then again, I'm, the obviously Kodak, if they're watching, hi, how are you guys doing? They should issue 15 million shares right now. Right now, they do a spot secondary if they know how to do that. And that would put an end to this. You take advantage of it, as all the cruise companies did. They looked at what Robin Hood was doing, and they said, you know what? You may be able to split a tree or hit an apple, but we're going to hit you right between the eyes with stock. And that's what Kodak's got to do. David, you know when a stock's up like yeah. this, what you do is you call your banker if they have one. You, know, you call Golden Slacks. And you say, hey, listen, guys, 15 million shares right now. I want it by the opening. And boom, done. I mean, Goldman Sachs. Uh, right. And you're right. Well, listen, not a spot secondary, which, of course, I would bet uh, their director, but uh, primary Mr. Carfunkel or their executive chairman would love to do with their stock, I would imagine, given the incredible paper gains that that those two gentlemen have right now, potentially in the hundreds of millions of dollars. Incredible. But right. A, a primary offering. Right. On the spot right now. Get it done. Raise the money. Why not? Right. Uh, in some ways, what? If, if the you know the audience is there, I mean, remember Hertz, a bankrupt company, yeah. was thinking about doing the same thing. If well, you're trading our stock that actively, why not allow us to sell some of it to you? Yeah, I mean, Carl, yeah, these guys. I mean, when you look at these at these stocks, you say to yourself, "All right, are they going to play this game?" Well, uh, we're not going to modernize them. That moderna means executives sell because they said, hey, listen, we said we were going to sell. So therefore, we're allowed to sell. And so we're going to sell, which is a kind of a sell. Um, but you go in there and you just say, hey, you know what? These Robin Hood guys. Hey, you know what? <laughs> so long, sucker. Kind of what they're saying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another uh, there's another form today of an uh, insider sale at Moderna, which maybe oh. we'll talk about in a bit. As for the president's tweet, uh, guys, we might be hearing from some members of Congress today since moving the election would require an act by them. And for that, we'll turn to Eamon Javers. Hey, Eamon. Yeah, Carl, that's right. You guys saw the tweet from the president. And of course, you're making the absolute right point about this, which is that the president doesn't have the power to delay the election, which may be why he puts three question marks after the idea of delay the election until uh, people can properly, securely and safely vote. Uh, this is an idea that just hasn't been floated uh, in modern American history. And of course, remember that uh, during World War II and during the Civil War, the United States held elections in very, very difficult circumstances, far more difficult than this. Uh, the president here uh, could be sending a signal that uh, he's seeing some of the poll results out there and, and obviously uh, doesn't like what he's seeing. And of course, uh, one of the effects of this tweet will be to suggest to his base politically uh, that this is an idea that they ought to consider. So this could be the president uh, very much testing the waters here in terms of putting this idea out there. Uh, but of course, if the president doesn't have the power to do it, uh, there's not a whole lot of reason for people to take this very seriously at this point, because uh, Congress is extraordinarily unlikely to take this under consideration, Carl. Uh, Eamon, right, Eamon, it's David. Yeah, sorry. Eamon, I just real quickly, you know, I raised this, but I, 
you would have a better insight into it. Doesn't it, though, exacerbate the fears that, there w- that he won't accept the results of the election should it go against him? Um, he ra- it was yeah, raised absolutely. by Chris Look Wallace in that interview. They did. Yeah. Yeah, we just have a helicopter passing right overhead. But um, yes, exactly. I mean, the president suggested that he might not uh, accept the results of the election. And the question is, what does that mean, right? I mean, it doesn't matter if the president accepts the results. Remember, the president doesn't have to issue a concession to be defeated. Any president doesn't have to issue a concession to be defeated. He's defeated when the Electoral College says he's defeated and Congress certifies those results. So if the president doesn't accept it, it doesn't matter because he'll be evicted from the White House one way or the other. Uh, the question is whether or not uh, this election goes into a sort of a Bush v. Gore kind of gray area where it's not a question of accepting results. It's a question of whether we have results at all uh, due to confusion or chaos or legal action or something like that. I think that's the danger area for American democracy going into this election. And the president is uh, clearly primed uh, to say there was fraud and it's an illegitimate election. Uh, If he ends up with a result that is in some sort of gray area there, uh, this is a president who has said that he will say there is fraud in the election. He's saying it now. And he said it back in 2016 in an election that he actually won the presidency. So um, I think the danger area is that, not if there's an overwhelming result one way or the other, the president is overwhelmingly reelected or overwhelmingly defeated. I think that'll be clear uh, and the legal process will be very clear. The question is if you get that gray area kind of result. And that's why this tweet sort of speaks into that vein of thinking. David. Yeah. Thanks, Eamon. With less than 100 days to go. Uh, Eamon Javers, uh, thank you for that. We'll watch it closely today. Along with all the uh, earnings news on this, the single busiest earnings day of the season. You got uh, 13% of the S&P reporting, almost a third of the market cap. We're going to talk to the CEOs of ServiceNow, Yum, Carrier, IMAX, Kellogg. And we will get to Qualcomm, Comcast, UPS, P&G, Kraft Heinz, and more when we, when we continue. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back. Shares of service now moving down, uh, as you see, a bit this morning, despite what were uh, numbers reported after the bell that were better than uh, many of the analysts, at least the commentary I've seen this morning who follow the company had anticipated. Let's bring in Bill McDermott, the company's CEO, to discuss uh, it in more detail. Bill, always good to have you. Uh, I want to start off on something actually that might be pressuring the stock uh, and is not related to your numbers, but to your head of sales and uh, a planned departure. Um, it was noted uh, in the call, sort of halfway through the call, but it did seem to take some investors by surprise. And I wondered if you could just discuss it in light of the fact that it may be uh, pressuring your shares. Right. And, you know, as you know, any change um, to the capital markets raises questions, right? So David Schneider is um, a 35-year sales veteran, has been with the company for nine years, had a great career. The first day I met him, Last year, he said he's going to retire at the end of uh, 2020. So Kevin Haverty has been running the number and leading sales for us for six years. So there really is no change. And David staying with me till the end of the year 
and we have an outstanding management team. There's no fundamental change to the coverage model, who's running the number, and the execution with customers. So they need not worry. We're good. All right. So you're good, and there's nothing more to, to, to say about it at this point then, Bill. Is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely not, other than congratulations to Dave for having a great career. And he's going to spend some time with his family, and after 35 years, he's earned that. But uh, ServiceNow, pipeline, performance, outperformance, we are ready to roll. Bill, Jim Kramer, good to see you, partner. How you been? Hey, Jane. How are you, Jim? Uh, I miss you. I miss you in the East. Miss your conference. <laughs> but there's no conferences Thank going you. on we'll anyway. Be back. I, I will disclose, I know it's not about friends, about money, but I know Bill outside the office. Bill, uh, you, I'm going to give you a choice. Uh, you can talk about what you did for Goldman Sachs, or you can talk about what you did for Disney and Disney Plus, so people understand how you have a great return on investment when somebody brings you in. Yeah, Jim, thank you for the question. So if we've learned anything, especially from this COVID environment, every CEO wants to give their employees a great experience. And if you think about that experience, we have to make work work better for people. People deserve in the enterprise to have the same consumer-grade experience as they enjoy in their living room couch on a Saturday afternoon. So if you think about what we've done for the employee experience, take a J.P. Morgan, take a Goldman Sachs, take an Uber. Um, We're streamlining the employee experience. Everything is mobile. Everything is web-based. Everything is connected to conversational tools like Teams and uh, Zoom. So that experience has to be world-class. Also, we now have a return-to-workplace application suite where we keep people safe. Are they ready to come back? Is testing in place? Is social distancing in place? PPE inventory management? We took Uber and brought them live in less than two weeks on our whole return-to-workplace suite of applications. So employee experience really key. Now, you mentioned um, another um, paradigm, which is Disney. And this is the customer service management paradigm, Jim. How do we take uh, business models and completely reinvent them, right? So Disney, no theme park, no cinema, not much on ESPN. Let's go for Disney+. Plus. We got them with 55 million users now signing up for subscriptions, using virtual agents and AI to make sure the experience is great. And if it's not, a human is automatically issued a workflow to make sure the customer is happy. And Zoom, 300 million users. Can you imagine this volume? And we're managing that for Zoom to make sure the customers for Zoom are happy. So that's what we're doing, Jim. We're making work work better for people. All right, so the street's thinking, some people feel that the billing's your guidance was a little bit light. Uh, I don't know. I mean, to me, this is a tough environment. You did so many million plus one million dollar sales. But I just want to hear your view about whether you think things are going to get worse or it's difficult to predict because uh, the stock is down. I'm trying to get my arms around that. Yeah. So first of all, think about this, Jim. You're in a situation where you have a beat on revenue, on margin, on free cash flow. So everything in the and also on the billings, everything in the company is a beat. So in Q3, we have seasonality. We're in the third quarter. More deals are starting to happen. And this is a year-over-year paradigm with ServiceNow in Q2 and Q4. So seasonally, Q3 has a little bit less bookings than Q2 and Q4. So we raised the full-year guidance. We reiterated that the billings are fine. 
and you'll get back into the 20s in billing for the full year, and that's the way we guided the company. So you're solid on revenue, you're solid on billing, solid on free cash flow margin and operating margin in the company. This company is ready to outperform yet again in the second half. That's why we raised the full-year guidance with total confidence. Bill, you talk about, of course, the digital transformation that has been accelerated in so many ways as a result of the pandemic. How far along are we in that? I mean, it's been rushed now, and your business is certainly reflecting to some extent what companies are finding they have to do. But how much more do we have to go? Well, you have a $7.4 trillion total addressable market in the next three and a half years for digital transformation. So the tailwind for growth for a pure play, born-in-the-cloud company like ServiceNow cannot be overstated in its impact. So we see rising pipelines. We see very happy customers with the highest loyalty rates in the industry. And we see people investing in digital transformation. If you talk to CEOs, 9 out of 10 have a digital-first strategy. But only 4 out of 10 feel that they're ready to compete if they are disrupted. So everybody is going to ServiceNow and companies that can do what ServiceNow can do, a real platform that says, hey, how can you make IT not just support the business, but be the business, reinvent my business model, give my employees and my customers a great experience, and develop edge applications. For example, companies like Lowe's with 323,000 employees had to, in 96 hours, deploy new applications to the whole workforce when COVID hit. We did that for them. Nobody can move with that speed and that agility. So it's all about productivity, protect my revenue, and give me business resilience. I'll give you an example on business resilience, and this is going to be big. We have to make sure people are secure. So if you look at the U.S. State Department, the state of Montana, all the companies we work with now, including J.P. Morgan and others, they want security built into the workflow so they can see where any vulnerability might exist in the workflow so they can remediate it quickly and keep their business safe. Um, U.S. Department of State, for example, you know, uh, State Department, they're flying people all over the world in a COVID environment. They want to make sure that they're safe wherever they are. Uh, State of Montana has to make sure that the citizens get the service and they have to get that service now virtually. So digital transformation is driving completely different behaviors in the new economy. Yep. And it's something we're going to watch very closely. And Bill, always appreciate your taking some time with us. Thank you. Oh, it's a pleasure being with you. And thank you very much. And um, let's go get them service now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bill McDermott, CEO of service. Thank now. you. Man can sell anything. When we come back, uh, Yum Brand CEO David Gibbs is going to join us on his company strategy in the quarter. 82 cents blows out 54. KFC up seven as Dow futures are down 300. Don't go away. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until that presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. 
CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Futures are weak here. Dow looks to open down 300 as we watch COVID cases, progress on stimulus, GDP claims, and of course, all of FANG earnings after the bell tonight. Squawk on the streets back in a moment. Don't go away. There you hear the applause for uh, the opening bell this morning. Of course, as uh, we count down to, uh, well, there we go, 10 seconds. There it is. You can see the real-time exchange back at our headquarters. I'm going to get back there one of these days soon to see you in person again, Jim. Uh, as we start off with more red on the board, as you pointed out earlier, um, softness in Germany's market perhaps uh, adding over here, despite what have been better than expected earnings from a number of the companies. But, Jim, we're waiting for some of the biggest guys after the bell tonight, aren't we? Well, it's the most important night of the year. I mean, we've got everybody who was... Uh you know, who was down there yesterday? Well, virtually. I mean, at Facebook, we have uh, Amazon, we've got Alphabet, and we have Apple. And that's why I am concerned that when you have that level, when you have that many companies, there'll be a lot of trading, and the trading will be done without a lot of knowledge. And this is something that's been happening endlessly, but tonight will be the worst of the year. The Wild West will be alive. People will be trading at 6, 6.30, losing their shirts, getting the wrong direction. I hate it, David. It's just stupid. Yeah. And you always say to wait for the call, which is uh, important. And uh, and really just to wait in general, uh, oftentimes is the right move. Uh, Jim, given you can get commentary on the call that certainly will move these stock prices. And even then you want to understand the context of which that took place. So uh, your advice there is is always uh, important to take. As for what's moving this morning, Jim, I mean, you know, P&G, Kellogg, Kraft Heinz, Pantry loading continued to prove to be quite strong. I mean, P&G numbers, they haven't seen growth like that in a long time. No, I mean, P&G is just made for this era, and they've got everything except for uh, grooming because people don't care. I, you know, people aren't shaving as much, but everything else is just on fire. Uh, once again, a weaker dollar is going to make things even better next quarter. They didn't emphasize that. The one that I want to emphasize is United Parcel. UPS. I mean, when you look at that, you say to yourself, OK, well, why hasn't that been the case for a long time? Business is so good. Why weren't they making money? Well, they have a C- They have a CEO, Carol Tomei, uh, who retired CFO <laughs> of Home Depot, always thought as a genius, a quiet genius. Well, look what she did. I mean, that's that's why that stock is up, not down, because one person can make a great deal of difference. Carl, she's a leader, a quiet leader. Uh, one that will never promote herself, so I have to promote her. Look at that chart. Look at what she's done. I, I, I mean, it's, it's amazing um, what she's done over there. Jim, you know, the thesis on UPS was that business to business was going to suffer, but maybe the analysts didn't take into account a 65% increase in deliveries to homes, and that takes parcel volume up 21. Amazing. Yeah, I, I was just, how could they not have recognized that there would be breakout residential when people don't want to go to the store. I, I, look, I think that this is something that's not going to change. I think that there are places that are that are obviously are safe to safe to buy, places safe to go. But why not just order online? I mean, that was when when I was with the, listening to the Congress people yesterday. The undercurrent that was so wrong about Amazon was the reason why they're so powerful is because it's so dangerous. People don't want to get sick. 
people want to order from home, and United Parcel plays a role. FedEx is too much foreign, I guess, versus UPS. But now they got Carol Tomei, and she just knows how to make money. She knows how to save money, too. Amazon up. I thought he did great. I thought a lot of the, I thought a lot. I don't know. I mean, it's subjective, Carl. But I thought the executives handled themselves very well. Good decorum. Never got mad. And at all times had a thesis that showed you how come uh, this is a Larry Kudlow view. America's great. I mean, these companies chose to be great. They work. The CEOs all work really hard. This is probably a major break from their work. I mean, these guys work 24 seven. They're very I know everyone's jealous that they make so much money. But, Carl, they earned it. Oh, my. All those people work so hard. uh, We knew it was going to be a catch all, Jim, uh, for a bunch of different concerns, not just antitrust. uh, But it was a it was a contest of endurance to some degree. Uh, here's an exchange between Bezos and the committee chair about third-party sellers. Why should a third-party seller list their product on Amazon if they're just going to be undercut by Amazon's own, pro- own product as a result of data you take from them? I think what, what I want you to understand, and I think it's important to understand, is that we have a policy against uh, using sp- individual seller data to compete with our private label products. You couldn't assure Ms. Jayapal yeah. that that policy isn't violated routinely. Well, I'm, we are investigating that, and I and I I do not want to sit here, and I do not want to uh, go beyond what I know right now. But we are, as a result of that Wall Street Journal article, we are looking at that very carefully. Well, I mean, that's one way to answer it. I mean, I would have answered. And it was good. I mean, I'm not against what he said, but there's another way to answer it. It's a little bit beyond what you could necessarily do in front of Congress, which is to say, if we are so powerful, uh, then why are all these retailers going to uh, Google Cloud? And why are they going to Azure? There are opportunities. They don't have to go with us. And I would have thought that was a better answer. But what they would have said then, I'm sure, Cicilline would say, listen, I'm not here. I'm not talking about Azure. I'm talking about your company. But it, just from the point of view of stock market, we had uh, uh, we had Shopify on yesterday. And to me, uh, I would be worried about Shop- Shopify or Amazon. Why? Because Shopify is maybe another way to get the job done. David, you know, I know that Amazon is uh, was a monopoly at one time and was leveraging Amazon Web Services. But this is the most vulnerable that Amazon's ever been. And they they were I thought they were a little late with their with their criticism. It may be, but you know, you keep mentioning Shopify, and I understand it to a certain extent. But isn't what what really um, allows Amazon to uh, dominate in the way that it does is is its logistics network, yes, yes. Uh, which is unparalleled. Shopify doesn't have that. No, Shopify does not. Uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, but it, look, and you can actually. I, you know, game, set, match. You're absolutely right. The logistics for Amazon are terrific. But there was one time when, when only Amazon did this stuff. And that's not the case anymore. We're going to hear from Alphabet tonight. And Thomas Curian is going to put a Google Cloud number in front of us that is going to astonish us. And I just think that the all that the Goliath it is, that is Amazon uh, had an amazing quarter in part because of COVID. Uh, I'm the most worried about Amazon of all the stocks that report tonight because it is so easy for them to say it can't be this good because the uh, this is a shelter in place number. And that's and look, my Chapel Trust right. big of his position. But that's one I'm most worried about. Don't forget, Shopify is one hundred twenty five billion dollars, though. I mean, people think it's a little Canadian company, one hundred twenty five billion dollar yeah, company. No, that's it's real. That's really kicking butt. 
It's a it's become a, a very large market cap company, the largest in Canada uh, or Canadian based. Uh, and um, and Carl, I mean, the question with Amazon always also comes down to spending. What what are, are they in a spending mode or not? And and I believe that they very well may be right now. And of course, as we always point out, Amazon Web Services, the profit margins there are enormous, as is the advertising business, which we had wondered about as well, given weakness in small and medium sized businesses and their wherewithal to actually spend money in ads. But it may be that they have to on the Facebook platform or on Amazon as well. Yeah, but remember, there's been more than 40 price cuts by Amazon Web Services. They, right. pri- they cut the price every year. Uh, now, some you could say, well, mm-hmm. therefore, it's predatory. But I just think it's great. Yeah, it does bring to mind, uh, guys, uh, Target today with its first and only uh, sell rating, Jim, out of MKM. Uh, They go to 105 on TGT. As they say, the online monetization is uh, offset by concerns they have about physical stores. And they point out that a lot of competitors are ramping up spending. And historically, they argue that means decelerating comps for Target. Well, look, I mean, I think Target is up this game in terms of going to the stores, up this game about where its stores are. I used Shipt uh, two days ago. uh, It's S-H-I-P-T. And got my product within uh, an hour and a half. Uh, is uh, Uno, the most popular game on, uh, in America, by the way. Uh, that's an odd call. I mean, people are like, upgrading uh, limited uh, L brands. They're upgrading uh, uh, Gap and downgrading Target. I don't know. Uh, I'd rather buy Target than those. Mm. Speaking of the consumer, guys, as you know, we're going to check in with uh, Yum Brands, better than expected results on some good numbers out of KFC and Pizza Hut on a morning where Duncan also floating the idea of closing over a thousand restaurants. We're back in a minute. One of the things I try to explain to people is when you see the headline numbers and you start selling because you think the headline numbers are bad and then others start selling, it's just a kind of uninformed mob. And I want to Keep that in mind with our next guest. Yum Brands, which you might know as KFC or Taco Bell or Pizza Hut, reported a beat. In other words, their top and bottom lines were good. And most importantly, their comp store sales were uh, were down less than expected. Of course, they were down. Everybody's were down. Uh, so keep those in mind when you listen to this interview with CEO David Gibbs. David, thank you for joining us. It's great to be here, Jim. Thanks for having me. All right, David, let's start with the concept of cadence, because we have a lot of younger viewers now watching. I'm trying to explain. It's entirely possible when you see a net number, say, for uh, KFC, which was a blowout, that it may have may be that the beginning of the of the quarter was not so good, but you finished strong at the end. Correct. You've got that exactly right, Jim. The momentum that we had this quarter was really impressive. We started from obviously some depths coming out of the initial impact of the virus. But our teams around the world pivoted very quickly, embraced consumers' new needs, and really strengthened the business as the quarter went on. You think about you know, what, what happened in April, which is included in the quarter. That feels like 2018 to me. That's so far in the rearview mirror. What matters right now is the momentum in the business and where we're headed. And we're really confident we're headed to a good place. All right. Now, Pizza Hut in the United States, which I've been quite worried about because it's been a, a laggard. You had a 1% same-store sales. Now, I want people to understand how many actual physical restaurants could you go into in Pizza Hut and sit down and eat with that number? Yeah, actually, Pizza Hut in the U.S. I think was up five. Uh, but the reality is if you uh, pull apart the Pizza Hut number, um, back to your point about really um, understanding the details, the Pizza Hut delivery and carryout business was up 21% in the United States 
when you exclude closed stores, closed express units. So that's really the relevant number. Obviously, you know, that's a great number. It stacks up well against the competition. Um, and that's all done, as you, as you point out, with dining rooms uh, closed all around the, the United States. We, we essentially don't have any of the very, we have very few pizza dining rooms open today. Yeah, it turns out the, the model is better than I thought for this. But the one that I'm confused about, why did you not break out uh, Taco Bell United States? Uh, Taco Bell U.S. always very, very closely mirrors the global number since the preponderance of our stores are in the U.S. But uh, uh, that number was 7 percent, um, uh, you know, the, the, the down 7 percent. Uh, importantly, if you look at what Taco Bell was lapping, uh, they lapped a huge quarter. But they're, they're actually slightly positive on the two-year basis. And they're a great example of what I was talking about, and what, which you mentioned early on, the cadence of the quarter. They got hit harder than any of our businesses in the U.S. just because they had a higher dine-in percentage. And the breakfast and late-night business, as has been well-documented, you know, those parts of the business have gone away as people uh, are, are mostly staying home. So they had a lot to overcome. They got hit the hardest at the beginning of the pandemic, and they've actually made the most progress during the quarter. And as we pointed out on the call, the business has stabilized in June and July. Actually, all three of our U.S. brands are positive right now. Yeah, I was reading this morning the taco cut 18 seconds from drive through time. I mean, where are we in uh, making drive throughs operationally perfect? Yeah, the Taco Bell team, uh, Mark King and Mike Grahams, their chief operating officer, and the entire team, the franchise partners, have done an amazing job uh, embracing the need for speed in this environment. They're now below four minutes now on total time for customers. Uh, and with the ability to order Taco Bell on the uh, digital app with just one click and then pull into the drive-thru and pick up your, store, your food, um, there's no better way to get an amazing meal in an incredibly easy way. You know, we've seen in uh, in retail, we've seen some mall operators try to lend a helping hand to individual tenants. It doesn't sound like you're that interested in doing the same for franchisees. Oh, actually, uh, to the contrary, you know, early on when this pandemic hit, you know, we stepped up, we reached out to our franchise partners. We provided grace periods on royalties for those that needed it. We've been partnering with them all around the, um, the world, uh, delaying capital obligations, remodels, new unit development, anything that we could do to help right. the franchisees. Sure. I guess I was referring more explicitly to investments in troubled franchisees. Yeah, look, uh, we have 2,000 franchisees around the world. Uh, at, at any one point in time, there's always going to be a few um, that are you know, in need of restructure. We have a few. Uh, we have one large one that you're probably referring to right now that's going through that process. Um, but that was anticipated. That's been going on uh, for quite a while, uh, not really a result of the pandemic. You know, as I mentioned, the pizza U.S. business is very strong right now. So, you know, we're always there for our franchise partners. We recognize the important role that they play in our business. They bring the business to life. Without them, we do not have a business. And for the most part, I, I really do believe our relationships with our franchisees during this difficult time have only strengthened as we partner together to pivot the business to the way consumers want to interact. Uh, uh, David, this morning, uh, Chipotle rang the opening bell. One of the things we know, Brian, uh, Brian Nichol used to run Taco Bell. One of the things that he was always great at was trying to figure out the one thing that people really want to eat right now. Uh, it looks like that, that your team is still doing that. You, you've got something at Taco Bell that is resonating with America, correct? Oh, we've got the grilled cheese burrito that launched uh, earlier this month. 
you know your products, Jim. That's great. It's uh, one of my personal favorites, and uh, you know, I, my my son, my teenage son, drags me all around uh, the, the, everywhere, wherever we are. We've got to get to a Taco Bell to get a grilled cheese burrito. Um, but it's an example of the kind of food that really works in this environment. Um, it's you know it's somewhat indulgent, uh, but a familiar product. Obviously, our burritos are well known to people. And then just with a little twist of a grilled cheese burrito, where you've got that cheese melted on the outside of the burrito, uh, makes it all that more special. So that's working well at Taco Bell. But similarly at Pizza Hut, you know they leaned in on stuffed crust pizza, a product that we invented at Pizza Hut, iconic and obviously a, a great familiar favorite. Um, they leaned in on that during the quarter, and that was a big factor in a lot of their success. So when my kids were younger, we uh, I would go pick up KFC. I always felt it was the ideal dinner. It was what my job was, was to get dinner. Uh, I imagine that KFC numbers are comfort food dinner uh, because they certainly are doing quite well in a pandemic. Yeah, look, the KFC bucket was built for uh, this environment. And as, as you surmised, the business has really taken off. Uh, the $20 fill-up is a great value for a family meal. It's an easy way for uh, to feed your family uh, a great, wholesome, uh, fresh-made food. Uh, and it, it's really been a big driver of the success for the KFC U.S. business. Well, I want to thank you, David Gibbs. Again, the stock market is down. So people may say, well, wait a second, all that is hokum. Young is doing badly, but it does not work like that. There are companies that report good numbers, and it just happens to be a down day. Thank you so much, David. Good to see you, Carl. Back to you. All right, uh, guys, as we've been talking, uh, President's active on Twitter again, says drug prices will soon be lowered massively. Big Pharma are advertising against me like crazy because lower prices mean less profit. When you watch a fake ad, just think lower drug prices. Jim Pfizer this week did say that uh, the EO EO on pricing would could force them to rethink expanding in the United States. Yeah, uh, President's really on a tear today. Um, I I, I find that when I read that, uh, I, I, I tend to think about how there are drug companies all over the world who are losing billions trying to solve the pandemic. And uh, I, I actually want them to make some money away from that so they can t- continue to spend billions on the pandemic. And I was surprised that the president took such a negative tone, given the fact that he ain't going to be reelected unless we get a vaccine. <laughs> so I think he ought to, I don't know, geez, it was kind of like that fabled Portnoy interview. Of course, I haven't mentioned Portnoy all day, David, so I have to do that, where uh, Portnoy Portnoy, uh, said, do you regret some of your tweets? Uh, I may have to tweet after this that the president doesn't seem to realize that his presidency is in the hands of pharma and they are spending billions to try to do this. Why? Because it's good. So I don't know. I'm going to get the president to take that one back because he's going to regret that. I'll work on it after this. Got time. Meanwhile, guys, we watch transports. Uh, UPS is an uh, influence, obviously, but also some news now from Delta. Let's get to Phil LeBeau. Carl, Delta CEO Ed Bastian out with his weekly memo to employees. And this week's memo, which just uh, we saw just a few minutes ago, 17,000 is the total number of employees who have opted to take some type of a retirement slash buyout package to leave the airline. That's in line with what the company said they expected when they reported earnings uh, just a couple of weeks ago. You take that 17,000 along with more than 40,000 who have said, we'll take some type of voluntary leave of absence. And you've got you know more than half of this company that in some manner will not be working come October 1st or are not working right now. And this is not a surprise. This is what people are expecting 
all of the airlines to do. They have to become dramatically smaller unless there is a second CARES Act that is passed in Washington. There is growing chatter about that being uh, discussed amongst uh, people in Congress and some of the industry leaders. But at this point, guys, unless there's a second CARES Act passed, you will see dramatically smaller airlines come October 1st. Uh, Phil, we'll talk about that along with some news out of the casinos, uh, Las Vegas Sands. Uh, making some comments about staffing yesterday. We'll take a break here. Obviously, a uh, tough open. Dow's down 400. Worst day in about three weeks. We're back in a minute. Dow's trying to hang on to 26,000 here, and the S&P breadth is not good. All sectors down. Energy down four. Banks down three, as uh, there are multiple tape bombs uh, this morning. Kellogg, a different story. Stocks uh, close to the highest levels since October as people buy more cereal for home. We'll talk to the CEO coming up. Let's get to Jim and stop trading. Carl, sometimes companies report on just a wrong day. And when I'm in Brunswick, B.C., a remarkable quarter, far, far better than people realize, ever, ever thought. The analysts got it totally wrong. Initially, even Brunswick got it wrong. They thought that they'd be in trouble. Traditional recession, no one buys boats. Just the opposite. This is a health recession. People buy boats because it's something to do. Monster, good quarter. It's your opportunity after the market settles down or even now because it was the best I've ever seen from Brunswick. Uh, Jim, you did say this week would be tough sledding, yeah. um, and that's coming into view. Yeah, I know. I didn't want it to be, but I had a bad feel about it. Uh, and tonight, I think it's going to be very hard. But we'll be here late. We'll get it. I know Will said the only place to get those results are on his show. Uh, but I also reminded him <laughs> I have <laughs> a show, too, after his show, and I can play a role. I think it's a supporting role, but I wanted uh, to tell him I, anything he can do, I can do better. Anything, well, Ethel Merman, as you know. Look at that yes. lineup, will you? Yes, a oh, it's, you always, who's not yeah, utzed by this market? Potato chip company. Potato chip company. Mad you got men. two people from Utz? You, you, need, you need two? It's that, that important to have two guests from Utz? I'm utzed. I mean, everybody's utzed. You might as well just two, just two, two for one. Come on, David. <laughs> you did it with Barstool. Oh, I knew Portnoy had to come up again. Hey, I, do you think Portnoy goes back to sports now to sports? I mean, does he really stick with stocks once every single sport's ramping? I mean, did he like it I that know, much? NBA's, is Penn National going to turn getting into, started. Yeah. I mean, is Penn yeah. National going to end up being Credit Suisse? Merrill Lynch? I don't know. I, to me, it's casino. Maybe they got a day trade thing. Robin Hood. By the way, it was uh, I, William Tell that I was referenced to with the arrow. Robin Hood yes, is the people the, who like Kodak. Think they know what Kodak is? Uh, I haven't looked at Kodak in the last five minutes. So what I'm did I tell you? Look, it's a SPAC. Yeah, it, it, it's a SPAC, David. Yeah. For who? It's a SPAC. Peter Navarro. <laughs> yeah. I know. And the Just like Billy judge. Bean, who's whole, the, starting, <laughs> Billy Bean's starting his meetings for his SPAC and Navarro, I guess. And yeah, why shouldn't listen, the president we kid, attack, attack the drug we companies kid, but, for being their finest hour, know, losing billions trying to solve the, band, it, you the know, pandemic? The sentiment about pharmaceutical companies, would one would think, would be quite positive when they do find a wow. vaccine that is going to basically he, save our he, economy. Or you know, right help now, it. they're, they're yeah. going down the elevator into the cab, David. You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.